Well, this morning we are um, continuing our series, our 21 days of prayer that we are focusing on, and uh, we're starting a series called Book of Prayers, and we're looking at prayers in the Bible, uh, prayers that um, made a huge difference in people's lives, changed nations, changed people, and we can uh, draw from today. And so uh, we just want to help you as a, as a church, we want to help you um, be able to pray, uh, be able to enter into all that God has for you. And so we have some helps for you. Um, if you look at your app um, in, the, in the church app, and it's, it has our logo on it if you're looking for it in the market or in the app store, um, right on the, the, I guess it'd be a homepage of the app, you can click that. It says 21 days of prayer, and, uh, and it's uh, for the first 21 days in January. So day one was um, January 1st, so you missed it, but that's okay. You can get caught up. Or you just pick up today with the third. So today's the third day. Uh, today it's on New Mercies, and there's a devotional in there. There's prayer points. Uh, you can follow that. We'll be praying some of the same things together. And we're not just doing this uh, with just our church. It's a fellowship of all the churches that we're a part of, of our fellowship. We're doing this together. And a great opportunity to fast. And maybe there's some things the Lord would want to, uh, us to, or you to remove from your life, um, for us to remove, that we could um, focus greatly on Him. And it's a great, great, those are some great tools in there. And then also, uh, those of you, the kids here this morning, we have uh, this book called Prayer Works uh, to help you. Um, with your kids and teaching them to pray. And I don't know, it's, for me, it seems like um, things that are geared for kids actually really help me a lot. And, and so I think you'll, um, uh, parents, you'll, grandparents, you'll get value from this too. And though those are available in the Welcome Center. Uh, you can grab those on your way out. It's great to have some of our elementary kids in here with us this morning. And welcome, guys and gals. And uh, glad you can be in here with us this morning. And so we're going to talk about prayer this morning. We're going to look at a prayer that we can pray when we feel stuck. We're going to look at the prayer of Jonah. Have you ever felt stuck? Like just really stuck. Have you ever, um, I think our whole society right now kind of feels stuck. Uh, we feel trapped in situations beyond our control. I wonder how many uh, feel stuck um, at home, homeschooling. You know, you're like, I never signed up to be a, a, a homeschool teacher, but here you are. You find yourself stuck in home teaching. Uh, some of you are stuck at home working. Others of you are stuck in a job, maybe in the public, that maybe you don't feel safe or okay about, but it's just, it is what it is. That's where you're at. Maybe you feel stuck geographically. Maybe you feel stuck relationally. Maybe you feel stuck in a job. Maybe you feel stuck um, uh, dealing with an illness or a physical disability. I think we could all say, like, we want this season to be over, don't we? But just changing a page on the calendar, just a new uh, screen on your phone doesn't it doesn't change. We can still feel stuck. There's still this, this reality that we deal, we deal with. And there is a man in the Bible named Jonah who was, he found himself in a situation where he was stuck. And I'll be transparent with you guys. I like the story of Jonah. It's only four chapters long. I'd encourage you to read it. Um, and the, one of the reasons I like Jonah so well is that I can relate to Jonah. Uh, Jonah, Jonah was a man, uh, just a regular person like you or I. He wasn't um, there was nothing, anything great about him. He never really did anything actually that special. Um, and he's in the Bible, not because of what he did that was right, but because of what he did that was wrong. But yet God in his brokenness and his, in, in Jonah's brokenness and his uh, failures, God still works and he still uses him. And, and even when he does the right thing, he still ends up doing it the wrong way. 
But yet God still works in his behalf. And I'm telling you, I can relate to that. And I'm so grateful for the story of Jonah. And he was a, so, so who was Jonah? Well, Jonah was a prophet uh, that was in the nation of Israel about 800 years before Christ. And God came to him and told him to go preach to the city of Nineveh. Uh, they were a wicked city. They were their arch enemies. Uh, they were, um, uh, they were evil people. Uh, they did really bad things. They had attacked Israel. They had just been terrible to them. They were the, the bad guys, so to speak, in the story. But yet God reveals his missionary heart in the book of Jonah, that he, um, he blessed Abraham, that Abraham could be a blessing to all nations. And we're blessed so that we can be a blessing to all nations. And when we get to heaven in Revelation, every, we read in the book of Revelation that every tongue, every tribe, every people, we're all going to be gathered together because God's heart is for the whole world. Jonah didn't have that heart. He didn't have God's heart. God told him to go preach his goodness and, and preach repentance to the people of Nineveh. And Jonah was like, yeah, I don't think so. Uh, I, I don't want them to, because if I do, you'll have mercy on them and you'll bless them and they'll want, they won't get what's coming to them. And I want them to get what's coming to them. It was the first time that God had sent a prophet outside of Israel and it was out of Jonah's frame of reference. He didn't understand what God was doing. He didn't want to do that. And so he, re he rebelled. He actually went the opposite direction. Instead of buying a, a, a ship ticket, ticket on a ship, uh, that's how he would have had to have trans uh, get to get there. Uh, instead of going to Nineveh, he bought one to Tarshish. And Tarshish was a port city. It was a beautiful city. Um, it was in the, it's in the Mediterranean Ocean. It's a it was a vacation destination. Um, he went the op he kind of went the opposite direction of what of what God wanted him to do. Um, he was he he was like God. I want to be anywhere but Nineveh. Anywhere I'll go anywhere. I don't be anywhere but Nineveh. Have you ever have you ever said that before? God, can I just be anywhere? but where I am right now. Have you, ever, have you ever prayed that? Have you ever thought that? Just it, it doesn't matter. Just somewhere other than this situation, this problem, this job, this location, whatever it might be. Well, that's kind of how Jonah was. And he's like, okay, I'm buying a ticket for the other direction. And it's, it's, so to put it in our everyday terms, imagine, imagine God sent you. You knew God was sending you to Iran. God was sending you to Iran to preach. might cost you your life, but he was sending you there. And you were like, you know, I think I'm just going to buy a ticket to Cancun instead. That's like what Jonah did. Instead of going to Iran, he went to Cancun. He thought it'd be a lot better. So he heads towards his Cancun. He, he heads towards uh, Tarshish. And, and as, he's, as he's going this other direction, because he doesn't want to be where he's supposed to be, a couple of things happen. First is then God sends a storm. So God sends it. So they're in this boat. God sends the storm. It gets rough. It gets rocky. It gets crazy. And these are experienced sailors. Like they know what they're doing. And so they began throwing cargo overboard. They began throwing it overboard. And as they're, as they're, as they're throwing it overboard, it still doesn't take care of it. And they're, they're praying to their gods, a little g, it's, the Bible says in Jonah 1. And so they're, nothing's happened. And so, and so in, in their worldview, they're like, well, this has to be like, this has to be somebody's fault. Like, whose fault is this? And so they're trying to figure out what's going on. And Jonah is sleeping. Jonah's sleeping in the, in the cargo area. So they, they wake up. What are you doing, man? Wake up. Who are you? Where are you from? What's going on in your life? And, and, and so they, he says, well, I'm a, I'm a prophet. I'm from Israel. I serve the God of the seas and of land. And they're like, oh, okay. Well, you need to pray to your God. And so he prayed and, he, and he's like, Okay, guys, this is on me. This is my fault. I'm running from God. 
the only way this is going to get fixed is you got to throw me overboard. So they wanted to verify what was going on. They drew straws. They drew straws. He drew the short straw. He confesses to what's going on. And, and so he says, throw me overboard. And they, they don't want to throw him overboard. I mean, they're like, no, we can't do that. Then your God will really get us. And, and they're like, no, no, you, you got to you got to throw him overboard. And so he just finds himself in the storm. And you know what's interesting when you find yourself in a storm is that like things become really clear really quick, don't they? Like things that matter really just, you kind of know what matters. Um, and, and it's, and the only thing that matters when you're in the middle of the storm is surviving, isn't it? It's either life or death, whatever type of storm it might be, whether it's a physical storm or whether it's a, a metaphorical storm. Uh, the last physical storm I was in, we were uh, a few months ago in this last hurricane uh, blew in towards Galveston. We were actually in Galveston. And of course, we wait to the very last minute to evacuate the barrier island. And so there's the tropical storms there. They're evacuating everybody. And we're, if you've been there, you know that bridge that you go back towards Houston over. Uh, to, to, you're going over towards Houston. And so we're headed over there. And the wind's blowing like trucks or like you're, you think they're going to flip. And you're just like, oh, Lord, like get us to a place of safety. That's how these sailors were feeling. And that's how we feel in life when we're going through storms. And I have a feeling this morning that some of you are going through some storms. And some of you may find yourself in a storm of life. You may find yourself stuck. And it's like, God, anywhere but here. And I want you to know God will he'll meet you in the storm like he did Jonah. You know, another thing about the storm is you realize you don't have much control in the storm. Jonah thought he had control, didn't he? God wants me to go to Nineveh. I'll just, I'll go to Tarshish. He didn't have control. And I think that's been one of the struggles for us this year is that we've realized there's just a lot of things that we don't have any control over. Anybody else here a control freak? Any of you at home on control? Yeah, Hands everywhere, yeah. Like, like we want control. And like Jonah, we realize there's just some things in life that we can't control. And so it, it strips us to the basic reality of our life. And what's interesting about Jonah is that in the middle of the storm, we see a prayerless prophet. And we would think he would have risen and would have been in prayer. And, and he's not, he's sleeping. He's a prayerless prophet in the middle of the storm. And we can learn from Jonah in this. You know, it reminds me of a, a story I read about this, this small town. And in a small town, a bar had just moved in just a couple doors down from a church. And of course, the pastor of the church was upset about this. We can't have a bar, you know, right next to the church. So they began to pray that God would shut the bar down. At 24-hour prayer meetings, they went into prayer. And after a season of prayer, this bar was actually struck with lightning and it burned to the ground. Well, the bar owner was mad because he lost his business and he knew the church had been praying against his business. So he sues the pastor and he sues the church. And so they go to court and, and he presents his case. The bar owner presents his case. He says, uh, we, we moved into town. The church started praying against us. God answered their prayer, struck us with lightning. We it burned to the ground. It's, it's his church's fault. It's his pastor's fault. We need to be compensated. And so the judge let then the pastor give his defense. And this was the pastor's defense. It wasn't God's fault. All, all, it wasn't our fault. All we were doing, we were just offering up little prayers. We were just offering prayers. It's, it's not our fault. It's, it's not on us. And so then the judge responds. He goes, I can't believe what I'm hearing. I have a bar owner here who has more faith in prayer than this pastor does. And I think sometimes we find ourselves like that. 
of treating prayer like that or like Jonah did where he, he just didn't pray. But then everything was about to change because the, soldier of the, the sailors did what Jonah said. He says, throw me into the, he, they threw him into the ocean. When they throw him into the ocean, the, the, the sea subsides. But then a great fish, and I may call this great fish a well this morning. I just might do it. We don't know if it was a well or not. But I grew up in Sunday school, and I think my Sunday school teacher always called it a well. So I'll probably call it a well at some point. But the Bible says a great fish swallowed Jonah. Doesn't that just blow your mind? Just swallowed Jonah. And so here we find ourselves in Jonah chapter 2. And we see this prayer. He's in this belly of a, of a fish, of a well, I'll say, for three days. And the very first thing that he does, the first point this morning, the very first thing he does is he calls out to the Lord. That's what we should do when we find ourselves stuck. He was stuck in the belly of a great fish, and he calls out to God. How I many you know God had Jonah's attention now, didn't he? And he's, this is how Jonah prays. It's, I mean, it's so amazing. We kind of like get to look over the shoulder of Jonah and I think there's like a Disney movie, isn't there, where somebody's swallowed by a well and they're sketching with ink and they have like the desk and they have like the little candle. You got, you, isn't that like a Disney movie? Yeah. Pinocchio. Oh, Pinocchio. Yeah, there we go. Pinocchio. That's not how it was. Okay. This was dark. It was difficult. It was, it was gastric juices. It was bad. Okay. And so this was his prayer. In my distress, I called to the Lord. And he answered me. You know, we can just, we'll just stop right there a moment. In my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. Stress. Anybody str under stress right now? Anybody at stress? You those of you at home, anybody at stress? I'd say, yeah. So I started doing some statistical research on stress. I was going to show you guys some fancy charts and some fancy graphs of stress levels in America right now. But I had to stop because I was getting stressed out. The stress levels are off the charts. They're unbelievable right now. America is stressed out. The world is stressed out right now. And we find ourselves like Jonah in this place of stress. You know, when I was researching this, as I, if you Google stress, look at stress, one of the major um, results that you get is actually the tectonic plates of our earth are under stress. That's why we were having earthquakes. And, and as I read this, I was like, okay, not only are we stressed out, the actual dirt that we're standing on because of sin is stressed out in our world. Our whole earth is under stress. We are a people that are, that are in a lot of stress. And then, but as I began to look at the, this word here, distress, it's like Jonah is past stress. He's at distress. And I wonder how many of us are, are like that. I wonder how many of you at home are like that. You have a You've moved past, like you passed stress a few miles ago, and now you're at distress. And it's, a, it's worse than stress. You've had stress, bought the t-shirt, and moved on to distress. And, and that's kind of where we find it. We can relate to Jonah in this, of being a place of distress. And, but I think we can learn something from this. Uh, several years ago, Heather and I had the, the privilege. For us, it was a privilege. We got to custom build a home. And we loved it. We, en we enjoyed it. I've heard horror stories from others, but we, we loved it. And so we got, to, we got to build this home, and we wanted wood floors in our home. And so as we went about uh, building wood floors, getting wood floors, we needed to get the wood. And uh, we lived in southern Missouri at the time, and her grandpa um, was, is from northern Arkansas. So he had a friend in Calico Rock, 
Arkansas that had a, a, a sawmill uh, that had been used in the governor's mansion in Arkansas, had been used in the, in the White House. It was a, a it, it won, in, in its day, it had, it had been a fancy, nice place, but that day was over, and they had a lot of remnants. And so um, I was able to go and sort through the remnants, which was exactly in our budget of what we needed to do to finish this house out. And so we, uh, her grandpa helps me. We collect all this wood. It's kind of different sizes. It's, it's, it's not in the best condition, but it's what we could afford. And so I bring it back to the house, and I have a, I have a great friend uh, who is a, uh, who's a craftsman. And he put, in, he put in wood floors. And so his suggestion to me was to distress the floor. And I, at that point, I didn't really know what a distressed floor was. That was before it was popular. And, and, and so we were, I was like, distress the floor? What, what do you mean distress the floor? He was like, yeah. He was, yeah. And so he took a two-by-four. I'll show you what he did. He took a two-by-four, and he put screws in them, and we put nails in them, and we got chains, and we began to beat this floor. We began to distress it. In fact, I did some research on how you distress a floor, and this is, this is some ways you can distress a floor. You can use wire brushes, hand scrapers, sanders, hammers. We did that. We beat it with a hammer, uh, screwdrivers, metal meat tenderizers, saw blades, soldering irons for burn marks or scars, pellet guns. Okay, I didn't know you could use a pellet gun, but pellet guns, uh, sacks with rocks or bolts, high-heeled hobnailed shoes, metal chain links, um, screw heads, bolts. And so what we did was we took this, took these two by fours and we began to hit the ground. We began to scratch. And when the first time I did it, like I have to tell you, like I was like, oh Lord, I hope this works out. Uh, We may be putting carpet over this wood floor. I don't know. But we began to beat it and we scratched it and we marred it. And And I think sometimes our life is like that when we're distressed. The things of life are like a two-by-four with screws in it. It's like a chain that gets thrown on the ground. I I can tell you, I don't know if I've ever had anybody's attention more than when I'm preaching with a two-by-four with screws in it. (laughs) But, But that's how we feel like in life sometimes is that we're just being beat to smithereens and can something else happen? And you just get all marked up and we get scarred and it's painful and it's difficult and it, and it hurts. But what was so amazing about this process was after we scarred it all up, after we did that, we took mahogany stain and I actually have a picture of it. This isn't of our floors, but this is a picture of a distressed floor. And we, we put mahogany stain down and we put polyurethane down and we were down on our hands and our knees, just rubbing that in. It became beautiful, beautiful floor. And I think that's a reflection of our lives, that our lives, we can become distressed through the currences of life, whether there are, we cause them ourselves like Jonah did, or, or things just happen to us that we're scarred, we're bruised, we're damaged. But like these floors, the Holy Spirit comes and just like the oil of the Holy Spirit, just like that mahogany and that polyurethane, it brings restoration, and it makes something beautiful out of something that was damaged. And I, that's who we are as people, that through life, we get damaged, we get scarred, we get hurt, but yet God makes something beautiful out of it. That's what happens in the story of Jonah. 
Jonah's in the story not because of what he did right, but because of what he did wrong, and how, but how God's grace intervened and how God met him when he called out to him and met him in that plane and in that pain. And that's my prayer for us this morning, that we will, that we'll fall on our knees and we will call out to God and that he will respond and that he will bring healing and restoration in our life. And maybe the scars, the woundings, the storms, the difficulty is our own our own, our own fault like it was for Jonah. Jonah got himself in that mess. You and I, we get ourselves in messes and the enemy would want to convince us that if we get ourselves in a mess, if we get ourselves in a difficulty that we're in on, it on our own, that God won't bail us out if it's something that we've done. And I'm here to tell you that God's grace is sufficient. My Bible says that there's no place I can get away from his love, no matter how high, no matter how low, even Jonah in the depths of the, of the ocean, he didn't escape the love of God. And so whether the difficulties are our own cause or from other things, God meets us in the middle of that, and he comes to us. He comes to us. I'm so thankful he didn't tell Jonah, just get yourself out of that. But he comes in the middle of this distress. The Hebrew word for distress is tasara. And it means the travail of childbirth or the distress of labor. So the imagery here is he's in the belly of a well. And, he's, and God's using a word, a pregnancy word, that Jonah would have understood that. And he's saying, in my distress and in my agony, as I'm being born again, I'm calling on God to answer this. Um, verse 2, he says, from the realm of the dead, I called for help and you listened to my cry. From the depths of the Hebrew word here is Sheol or the grave or the realm of the dead. It means a, a, it's not just a location. It means an actual terrible situation. And we use the phrase going through hell. That's what this is talking about, going through a very difficult uh, situation. And, and some of you, your life may be in a difficult situation right now. It may be in the depths of despair. It may be difficult but I'm here to tell you that God will meet you in this storm. He will meet you in this place of difficulty. This is what this is this is what this uh, verse two, the actual literal translation of this verse is: is I was as good as dead, but God in His mercy could cause me distress to be born again. That's a literal translation that Jonah realized that in the middle of this situation, that he was as good as dead. I mean. How can it get much worse than a belly of a great fish at the bottom of the ocean? He's like, I'm near, the, I mean, this is as bad as it gets. But in the midst of this, the distress, this difficulty that I'm in, God is using this to cause me to be born again. What, what that means is there's a different outcome here, that there's, a, there's new life ahead of me because what, of what God is doing. This is the prayer he prayed. He said, from deep in the realm, this is verse two, deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help and you listened to my cry. Verse three, you hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again towards your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. I mean, he even, like, he's painting a picture here for us. Like, this is as bad as it could get. He, he, his head is wrapped in seaweed. He's at the end of his rope. He, he doesn't know what to do, but he calls out to God. He says, to the roots of the mountains I sank down. To the earth beneath bared me in forever. But you, Lord, 
my God brought me, brought my life up from the pit. That God rescued him from the pit. He's saying I was as good as dead. I was powerless. I was helpless. But he says I was not hopeless. And God in his mercy reached down right in the middle. He called out and then, I, and then he remembered the Lord. That's what the next verse says. Verse 7 says, when my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord. That's the second point. That he called on the Lord, but then he remembered the Lord. I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Some of us need to remember the Lord. And what do I mean by that? Because you'd say, well, I haven't forgotten the Lord. But isn't it true that when life is easy, when things are fine, that God's not always on the forefront? But there's something that happens when we find ourselves metaphorically in the belly of a fish at the bottom of the ocean. We find ourselves in the storm in life. We find ourselves in a tight, confined, difficult place. That that is the place to remember the Lord. Uh, David said, I will strengthen myself in the Lord. My soul will bless the Lord. That we will remember the Lord. Uh, Moses instructed the people to remember the, the works your Lord has done. So we find ourselves in these situations. We remember who, God our, who our God is, that our God is the way maker. Our God is the miracle worker. I think Jonah did that. I think Jonah reminded himself of who God was and who God is and that he reminded himself of how God had been faithful in his life. And that's what, if we do that, that will help us keep our mind focused on him. That when our life is ebbing away, we remember God. In his suffering and pain and distress, he turned to the Lord. He remembered him. Verse 8 says, Those who, this was his prayer, he said, Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. They forfeit the grace that could be theirs, another translation says. This is a huge, this is a key part of this prayer. He says there's some that cling to worthless idols. There's some that cling to things of this world that, that are not true, that are not lasting, that are not sustaining, that have no power, that have no resource. And they turn away from God's love for them. He doesn't say God turns from them. He says God turns, they turn away from God towards something temporary, towards something that's not life-giving or life-sustaining. So it causes me to self-reflect and it causes me to think about when my life gets stressful, when my life gets tough, when I find myself in the storm, where do I turn to? Where do you, where do you turn to when life gets difficult? Do you, do you turn to God or do you turn to things of this world? If we turn to things of this world, we forfeit a grace which could be ours, that sustaining, supporting grace. Anything but Jesus is empty and it's vain. It's his love that pursues us. You know, Jonah being, swell, being swallowed by a fish that was not punishment. That was not punishment. That was God's grace. That was his love pursuing Jonah and capturing him and putting him in a place where Jonah's life could be turned around. And God so loves you. He so pursues you. Even as we sang this morning, his love chases after us in the middle of our difficulties, in the middle of our, of our storms, in the middle of whatever we're going through, that if we'll call out to the Lord, if we'll remember him in the midst of this, then it brings us to a place where the third part of Jonah's prayer is that he praised the Lord. He praised the Lord. And he, I mean, he's not been rescued yet, okay? He's not been saved. But 
he doesn't know that there's an end to this. He hasn't read the four chapters of Jonah. Like, he doesn't know. And, and so he finds himself praising in the midst of his storm. He says, but I, with shouts of grateful praise, put yourself in his shoes. He might have actually lost his shoes at that point. He didn't even have shoes on. But put yourself in his place. In the middle of a belly of a whale, he shouts with grateful praise. We find ourselves in storms and difficulties. That's the posture, a posture of praise. Shouts of grateful praise will sacrifice to you. What could he sacrifice? He's going to make a sacrifice. He had nothing there. His head was wrapped in seaweed. What was his sacrifice? I think it was the sacrifice we see in Romans 12, where Paul encourages to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice, as worship unto the Lord, which is our reasonable act of service. I think he offered himself, Lord, I praise you. I think he prayed, Lord, you're good. Lord, I give you everything. And then he says, what I have vowed, I will make good. This is the prayer, God, if you get, it, if you get me out of this, I'll do what you're asking me to do. <laughs> have you ever prayed that prayer? Oh, Jesus, if you get me out of this bind, I'll serve you, I'll do this, I'll do that. And so the question is, have you? Have you kept your vows to the Lord? Are there some vows that you've made that the Lord wants? Even right now, he's saying, you promised this. You said you would. And so he's, he's challenging you in that. Are you, are you keeping the vows that God has, has called you to? He says, what I have vowed, I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. That was his place. Salvation comes from the Lord. It comes from him. Jonah got it. It was in that place of difficulty that he understood the Lord was his resource, that the Lord wasn't one to run from, but to run to, and to go to him and to seek him and to find him. And we know what happened. We, we read that in the next verse. The Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto the dry land. He became well vomit. Ugh, right? <laughs> but, as he, he gets thrown, but he gets thrown up near Nineveh, and he ends up going to Nineveh. He ends up preaching. The city prays. They fast. They repent. They turn around. God rescues him. He gets a bad attitude. He says, I know that's what would happen. It was one of the greatest revivals of all history. But the reason it's in this book, this story, is in our Bible. It's not, it's not just because of the great turnaround that happened in Nineveh. It's because of what, Jonah, what God did in Jonah's life in the belly of that fish. You see, the center of this great story is Jonah in the belly of this fish. This is the pivotal place where Jonah turns to God. This is the place he becomes what God has called him to be. And friends, it's where you and I become what God has called us to be. We want out, and God wants to meet us right in this difficult spot. We become what we are called to be by praying, just like Jonah did. It was in prayer that Jonah was changed. It's in prayer that we're changed. And we start out praying in the belly of a fish. I like what Eugene Peterson says. He says this about this story. The belly of a fish is a place of confinement, a tight, restricted place. The belly of a fish was the unattractive opposite to everything Jonah had set out for. The belly of a fish was a dank, 
dark, disgusting cell. But it's where Jonah's life was turned around. And it is often where our lives are turned around too. What we want is a five-star hotel by the sea with a room with a view overlooking the ocean. An ideal place to commune with God. Quiet, restful, serene. Can I get an amen on that, right? But what we are given is a sinking ship in an unrelenting storm where we're tossed overboard into an unmerciful sea where we are swallowed whole by a claustrophobic set of confining circumstances. In the hotel, we could call for anything we want, assistance from room service to the manager. But in the belly of a fish, there's only one that we can call, and that's to God. Would you guys pray with me this morning?